Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Harriet Russell from our companies team. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good. How are you? Not too well. Actually, I'm feeling a bit lousy. I was at uh, Lords <laughs> last night for uh, the Simon Jones testimonial yes. dinner, and I feel rotten. Uh, Theron Mohammed, how are you doing, Theron? I'm good, thanks, John. Excellent, excellent. And uh, over to control room, Graham Davis. How are you doing, Graham? Hello, John. I'm well, thank you. Good. It's been an interesting week. There's lots of shenanigans still going on over in Greece, and I think we're uh, sort of reaching the 11th hour over there now, which we'll talk about again. Mm. Yeah, Half the magazine appears to have been written this week by Theron and Harriet. You've written the cover feature between you. Mm -hmm. Theron, you wrote the second feature. And Harriet, you wrote most of the news section. (laughs) (laughs) So it's lucky we've got you both here. So uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. The cover feature is uh, about healthcare Mm. and how digital technologies are changing the way healthcare is delivered, which is fascinating stuff. And you've written about TV and the way TV is delivered, which uh, is also going through massive upheaval thanks to to the amazing growth of services like Netflix and other on-demand services that uh, broadband-enabled services, which I enjoy a great deal. And it gives an excuse to put Tyrion Lannister in the magazine, which is is wonderful. And uh, takeovers have been massively high on the agenda this week. Yeah, one every day it seems. Yeah, yeah. We've both had one this week. uh, both Herrera and Colt. <coughs> Colt, was it Colt? The telecoms, yeah. Right, yeah. And Colt. Okay, yeah. it's been around forever, Colt. It's uh, amazing that it finally gets uh, finally gets bought. Okay, but let's go back to, uh, to you, Graham, and the news before we uh, talk about the features. Because uh, Greece, um, yes. while, we, while we sit here in the studio, things are going on. They are going on, and it's difficult to keep track of it, really, John. Uh, we are getting towards the end game now, though, surely. surely you said that are. last week. I know, we've been saying this for months on this <laughs> podcast. We refused to carry on talking about it for a while. We and, did, uh... we ignored it for some time, but I don't think we can ignore it now, because, no, we are, we're getting close now. I mean, I, as we walked uh, down to the studio now, the latest Eurogroup meeting of finance ministers uh, broke up without agreement. There's recriminations flying around, um, a bit of the Eurogroup trying to blackmail Greece. Uh, I mean, it, it is getting to that sort of brinkmanship stage now. Um, but, uh, there's still a sense that the, something might be agreed, but time is well and truly running out on this one. Should we care? I mean, we've got a piece of the fun section. Uh, Greece, we're not worried. So it manages. Fund managers uh, the market seem seems to, to be taking this in their stride yeah, now. Yeah, the markets, I mean, they've had a little bit of a wobble recently, but the last few days they've been remarkably calm, um, considering the the headlines being generated uh, out of this. I mean, it just seems incredible that, that Greece has been in in this financial straitjacket purgatory for, for years now. And again, the, the solution now appears to be yet more austerity mm. it can't at some point you've just uh, at some point people will have to draw the line and just say okay enough yeah when we're talking about austerity we're talking about putting the retirement age up and things like retirement that age we're up. not exactly to, i mean in that respect we're not exactly talking about big asks here in terms of uh some of the measures that are being no proposed. i mean greece does, does have relatively uh generous retirement considering the size of its uh, economy compared to other European economies. Mm. Um, uh, there, there, there are tax rises in this as well, though. The, the VAT uh, is going to go up across the board, uh, and corporate tax rises have also been talked about. So it's a tightening, more tightening uh, on an economy which is which is squeezed yeah. dry already almost I mean, by, by those uh, looks. Raising corporate taxes in a country like Greece does strike me as, as somewhat worrisome, because if you mm. raise corporate tax rates... 
corporations will leave and do their exactly. business elsewhere. And, and that's not exactly you know good medicine for a country that needs to create jobs. No, it doesn't encourage growth, does it? No, no. So you know you do you do then have to draw the conclusion that that it is economic blackmail essentially mm. here. Well, that's, yeah, that's the way the Greeks are, are sort of painting it at, at the moment as mm. we speak. And, the, you know, with the ultimate aim that the euro stays, eurozone stays intact. Mm. But then there's, of course, talk that, you know, we can expect similar crises to emerge uh, in the future in Italy and, and France. You know, these are not exactly yeah, strong well, economies. I, I think that is the fear of, of, of the European uh, leaders is that you let one let one domino fall and, and, and you know, everyone else will suddenly expect clemency and leniency, mm. um, which and is why they're, they're sort of keeping the, the, the negotiations going and trying to force uh, an, an agreement. Again, you know, it's probably just going to get kicked down the road again, John. We could still be talking about this at Christmas. We probably will be. And the thing we are talking again about this week is a Brexit, a British mm. escape from escape. That Freudian <laughs> slip. Well, some a British exit from the uh, from from the EU. I mean, mm. uh, what? Why is that reared its head this week? I guess it's the looming referendum that will happen at some point in the future, as promised by yeah. the new Conservative government. Yes, well, we, David Cameron just turned up at the uh, the European Leaders Summit um, uh, and, and was asked by reporters what was the most important thing um, on his agenda, and he, he mentioned migration to the migration in Europe. When I think the other European leaders have got bigger things on their minds today. Yes, statesmanship um, is finest. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. But yeah, Brexit's not going to go away either, John. Um, and obviously, if there's a Grexit. Uh, does that make a Brexit easier? I mean, is this the sort of the beginning of the end game? Well, I uh, guess that that's why are, the uh, the powers that be are fighting so hard to mm. make sure it doesn't uh, yeah. collapse into a, to a hideous, acrimonious mess. Yes. But uh, my personal view is that it will collapse into a hideous, acrimonious <laughs> mess. Um, <laughs> Just depends how quickly. But yeah, we'll you know we'll probably still be talking about it next week, John, and for many weeks to come. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's talk. Uh, what else we got in seven days? Rainmaker's Revival. The Rainmaker's Revival, you, you hinted at this before uh, earlier on, um, deals appears to be on the rise, um, and, and our, our, our news section reflects that this week. Um, there's a, certainly in the sort of mid-tier with Colt uh, being being bought, and, and Ladbrokes, it looks to be in talks. This is it, it, Maybe it's this sort of pre-summer uh, sort of rush of, of, of deals going on, but there appears to be a, an appetite in the city for corporate transactions at the moment. Yeah, I mean... Th- We'll talk about them very shortly, but I mean, I look at these companies that you've just met, three companies you've mentioned, mm. Thornton's, Labrooks, Colt, all been struggling uh, quite uh, badly absolutely. for some time. Yeah. I mean, is this, uh, is this a sort of, uh, you know, corporate uh, forest fire, as it were, that the kind of the, uh, the weak are finally being gobbled up as we've kind of thought might happen for some time? Maybe. Harriet, mm. let's, talk, uh, let's talk Thornton's to start with. Okay. So, do you like Thornton's chocolate? No. <laughs> Thornton's for me is a bit of a sore subject because uh, I think when I, previous to this job, when I used to work a lot more with small caps and, and AIM stocks, I uh, I really took against them and they sort of had a bit of a resurgence and then actually, they, you know, the, the struggles have continued. I mm. personally think that it, it was not a quality outfit. Talking to the management at the time, their strategy seemed quite confused um, and I just didn't believe it it would sort of operate on its own in the long term yeah I mean I used to cover this for a, for a little while um, and the thing that always struck me about the strategy was that on the one hand you've got this this retail brand that's trying mm. to sell its products to 
direct to the consumer mm. and and trying to charging a reasonable premium mm. for them you know we're not we're not talking a box of milk tray no here. but then you've got the other part of the business which is selling to supermarkets yes. which seem to undermine the retail proposition i could never get my head around how that that kind of coexisted no and i personally didn't couldn't get my head around the fact either that basically there is no middle market here in, mm. uh, for this particular type of product, you've got, as you say, the milk trays of the world where you would just go to a bog standard supermarket um, and it doesn't matter where, which supermarket you choose because the brands are the brands. And then you've got people like Hotel Chocolat in the premium end of the market who, you know, when you want to push the boat out for anniversaries or whatever, that's that's maybe where you would go. Actually, I stick to a box of Thorntons. Well. But that's only because my wife likes them. <laughs> but it, it, I think the arrival of people like Hotel Chocolat put Thorntons in a very difficult position. Mm, it labelled them as middle market. It labelled it labeled them almost as mass. And yet the problem with labelling them as mass is that their prices are still too high for mass. Yeah. So yeah, you've got themselves that. into a very difficult position in my view, and I couldn't really see how they were going to compete and sort of establish their brand as worth paying more than your dairy milk, but less than your hotel chocolate. I couldn't understand on what occasion people would really be buying those sorts of products. So, mm. lo and behold... Every birthday, every Christmas in my house. No, but I just, I, I sort of feel like, especially in a recession, a recession forces two choices, I think, with consumers. Either they're going to admit that this is a chance where they're going to push the boat out and mm. spend the money or they're going to go budget and i don't think that thornton's had a place in that consumer's mindset yeah it was it was it was in a bit of a no man's land really mm. in that in that respect so why on earth is ferrero interested in buying this company yeah it's an interesting question because some people a lot of the analysts are saying well you know get it while it's on its on its lowest ebb that being said if you look at the size of the premium it really doesn't you know suggest that at all um it's a it's a 43% premium to the last closing share price prior to negotiations or it's more like a 100% premium compared to the share price 8 weeks ago mm. that being said um management has sold quite a large stake and the largest shareholder it has which is the crystal amber fund also sold its entire stake already so it's well in motion. I yeah, don't see a yeah. counter offer coming out of the woodwork. Um, so Ferrero, I mean, it's a family run business. It isn't is, it? yeah. And there's been some changes in, in terms of the way that's being run now. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's passed from one generation to another. Yeah, it's uh, it's octogenarian. Uh, one time leader has uh, has now passed on. So his his son has taken the reins and word on the street is that he's got a very different attitude to how the business should be built he's got a much more open mind in terms of acquisitions and he's really keen to build the market share that that company has in the uk all right well. do you think the uh the craft cadbury deal might have sort of spurred this deal in a sense maybe there's more competition yeah i mean it's interesting there's certain i think there have been attempts at the past of consolidation in this industry which haven't worked for whatever reason and i'm not saying that that was based on any kind of strategy failure it seemed to be these um these management sort of closed minds that often presented the roadblock. So um, I think, yeah, Ferrero has now got a leader at the helm that's got a much more international view and he's spied an opportunity and he's going to go for it. Quite why he's paying this much for it, I don't know, but mm. that's up to them. Do you like Ferrero Rocher? A lot more than Thornton, I'll put it like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really fascinating to see how that's going to pan out. I mean, Thornton's mm. used to be a family business itself at mm. one point, and uh, there, was, uh, there, there was a very acrimonious falling out between the, uh, the family uh, owners of that business, and uh, I suspect some of them are going to be very cross to see what's, uh, what's happening here. Mm. Okay, uh, Theron, let's talk Colt.
City of London Telecom is what I remember it as. <laughs> um, well, it's an interesting one because it's kind, it's a simple deal in the sense that Fidelity, the the shareholder with sixty percent of the shares, is buying the rest. But um, what's interesting is that management don't really they think Fidelity's offer undervalues the company, but. As Fidelity has said, it will hold on to the shares until the end of next year. Another deal may not even be possible. So they're not giving any recommendations, saying it's up to you, shareholders. We don't think it's a good deal, but nothing better may come along. So what, what do we think is going to happen? Do we think you know shareholders will, will go for this? When, what are we recommending? I think it's almost, it's almost a, a done deal, given that Fidelity owns a lot of the shares. It's gotten a decent level of acceptances from other shareholders. So yeah. I think uh, it'd probably be best for share, cult shareholders just to accept it because as nothing else may come along. Yeah, we, we've said await documents, but that's a, yeah. that's a technicality in, in the respect to the fact that they haven't actually published the offer yeah. document yet. But uh, but our, our inkling then is that, uh, yeah, go <laughs> There's not for much it. choice. <laughs> go for it. No, I noticed in your sector, Anite um, is being bid for. That's a uh, Simon Thompson uh, tip and uh, has come has come good. I mean, they're in the mobile testing space. As, uh, yeah, as they do they test uh, wireless networks and mobile devices. Yeah. So it's a, kind of a, a big data company benefiting from all the mobile devices and 4G. Spirant is the other company in that space, isn't yeah. it? Are they still, are they still uh, standalone? Did they get bought? No, they're, they're still around, but they haven't been doing too well. So, might so they be could be, on, be on, the, uh, <laughs> on the target list as well. Phoenix IT. I know this is. Uh, I mean, that's a reasonably big deal, 135 million. So that's an interesting one because Daisy was bought over recently, which does the same sort of um, managed services to businesses, connecting their IT, their telephones, etc. And now, well, they were taken private, and they're going to take Phoenix IT private now. So there's definitely a lot of consolidation in that area. You could have no one left to cover, Theron. Exactly. <laughs> I'm running out of companies. <laughs> and yeah, we because. Uh, CSR, which is one of yours, got got bought, didn't it? Yeah, I was a big fan of CSR, so yeah. I was a little disappointed to see it go. Well, you know, but I guess we had on a buy then, so yeah. uh, <laughs> so we did all right there. Yeah, any other sort of potential bid targets in your sector that you've got your eye on? Not particularly. I mean, at mo- it's a little hard to to a bit of guesswork at the moment. But there was the the Pace Aris deal recently. Oh, as well, which is, yeah, there was. That was yeah. our value tip of the year, so that came off very nicely. That hasn't completed yet, has it? It, it hasn't completed. There might there's still a risk of regulation getting in the way, but Yeah, yeah. Management no, are open to it. And again, actually do you know what? That's a really useful introduction uh, into the uh, second feature that you wrote this week on TV, because Pace is a provider of set-top boxes for the delivery of TV over the internet and other such things. So, I mean, yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting trend there um, that Pace is at the heart of. Just, uh, get, perhaps you can tell us about the feature you've written this week uh, on, on the way that the delivery of television is changing. Yeah, so there are two main trends. One is that the internet has sort of come to the fore of television and watching television through the rise of services like Netflix and Amazon Instant Video. And the other side is that with these mobile devices, people are no longer crowding around the television to watch the evening news. They're retreating to their bedrooms to watch it on tablets and smartphones. So it's been a... a Difficult for these companies to adjust to that, those mm. big changes. Mm. So, I mean, this is companies like Netflix that have really, you know, really thrown a spanner into the to the works of the of the TV landscape. There. And we, we buy Netflix. Do you buy Netflix? Yes, I do, yeah. Do you like it? I think it's great. Have you got Netflix, Harry? I personally don't. What? Mm. <laughs> but, um, uh, but what I do have is a smart TV, which is... Um, sort of along these lines isn't it and and if i wanted to there is actually it's basically um a tv that's set up almost like a computer because yeah, it's got apps yeah. on it and if i wanted to i could download a netflix app 
Um, I can watch YouTube videos through it. I can watch all the catch-up services through it. And in terms of watching live TV, it's definitely playing into that trend of never watching live TV. Indeed, I, I would agree with that. We tend to record everything uh, or uh, or watch it, as you say, on one of the uh, the apps, the catch-up apps, iPlayer or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. We've got actually we've got a Netflix button on our remote control which is oh, like wow. i mean that shows how far that company has come i have um, one on mine too john wow <laughs> wow but i mean you know for for a service to be included on the actual you know piece of kit i mean it's incredible really yeah. i mean it's uh this this is part of the fabric now of, of, of watching tv it seems like it definitely um well they have 60 million uh users worldwide so it's clearly something that's gonna stick around for a while absolutely i mean how does this affect you know the traditional broadcasters like ITV for example which is which has been a very successful company in recent years but you know has had its struggles in the past well they've had to look to break into other markets to sort of and they've looked to diversify away from advertising and they've also launched their own they've focused on original content and online and digital mm. pay tv kind of just spreading their bets a bit more and investing in these new er- growth areas because traditional TV isn't growing as fast as uh, the new new brands. Yeah, new yeah. Start. absolutely. So you mentioned content there. You know, Netflix in particular has has really invested heavily in its in its own shows. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I guess, part of the reason we, we subscribe to it. I mean, you know, in fact, in the past, you had companies like HBO, which I guess was the originator of this model, really, a really high-quality TV content. I mean, almost to the sort of production quality of film, these days, I mean, it's amazing. But Sky, I mean, Sky is investing heavily in this too. It's, um, it's got a big deal with uh, Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yes, it does. And actually, what's interesting during late Netflix's latest results, they're saying they can't hope to compete with Sky's breadth of content. They're mm. going to have to be much more sort of pinpoint what's going to work for them because Sky just offers this incredible range. Well, that's fascinating that you mentioned that. I, I'm pretty sure we've spoken about this before, but you know, in terms of the way you know, if you can deliver this content over the internet. You know, you've got as a as a broadcaster, narrowcaster. I don't even really know what you call them anymore. Um, you've got so much more data that you can work with about viewing habits, and I guess this is changing the way that content is made as well. Yeah. Um, and Netflix are really at the heart of that, aren't they? Yeah. So um, we've we've mentioned this anecdote before, but uh, when they when Netflix was uh, commissioning House of Cards, they looked at fans of the director David Fincher, fans of Kevin Spacey, and fans of the original House of Cards. So there was a bit of a crossover there and that uh, House of Cards uh, a revamp would sell very well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely fascinating. Um, so, yeah, uh, interesting times. Um, and I guess our view is then we, we're interested in the guys that, that not just enable the delivery, but have the real content behind them as well. Yeah, so I, we have a quite a big... Uh, a number of buy tips within TV. So if you go onto our website, we have a great infographic where we break down our tips and how they performed, and they've all done pretty well. Oh, is this one of your new infographics? Exactly. Oh, yeah. can't wait. I haven't seen that yet. Let's have a look at that. No, no, no it's interesting as well. So BT, I mean, you know, um, which we would ostensibly know as a telecoms operator, is also getting heavily involved in content. It's, it's going down the sports route more than anything else. Yeah, well, that's how it looked until a couple of weeks ago when it signed an exclusive deal with AMC for Mad Men and The Walking Dead, these kind of high-quality high TV dramas. I thought Mad Men was finished. <laughs> oh, no, well, it's with the studio, so it might be for the next thing to come. Okay, but it's, it's okay. That studio, so that's an even greater threat for Sky. They were, first, there was just, oh, it's sport, but now it's entertainment and a broader range of channels. It's great for the viewer. Great yeah. for the viewer. Uh, never, no more reasons to ever go out. Um, I mean, you know, we talked to there about big data and how that's enabling, um, you know, these companies, the Netflix of the world, to to really 
you know target their content more efficiently i mean that that leads us neatly into the the cover feature which is about healthcare and how um the digital revolution is changing that too and and, and actually in, in many instances that is also about how healthcare delivery is much more targeted or we, how we're able to do that thanks to the, the volumes of data that we now have both of you wrote that so yeah Theron, you you, you kick off because i mean it's, it's it's really tech we're talking about here yeah so the medical industry over the past well the history of medicine has always been about um, advances in technology, so the x-ray machine or the cardiogram. And now it's uh, doctors have decided we need a more efficient way to communicate with patients and organize our hospitals. So that's given sort of a new life for software companies and computers and electronics are more important now. Mm. And on the other side of that, people are more interested in their health and fitness than ever before, or at least they claim to be. So that's led to more apps and more wearable devices to track how their health and this trend of the quantified self where you're really interested in um every aspect of your life from how productive you are how long you sleep well, i must admit i'm a bit scared to look so i think i'll be avoiding this trend altogether um no but it is fascinating i mean you mentioned there about sort of the patient record kind of things that the joined up health service i mean this when i was an analyst uh but well, 12 years ago now there were a couple of companies then isoft and torex who have subsequently fallen upon very hard times but you know this whole nhs it project was was big then has it i mean it's been slow it's been really slow to happen are we actually reaching that tipping point now where you know the health service is really in it enabled and joined up and, and actually works in the way that they envisaged it working you know a decade or so ago i think we've got an estimate in here that only about 30 percent of uh um, NHS trusts have completely um, made their patient, patient record systems electronic, so there's definitely room for growth. And the company is providing that service like IdeaGen, which did essentially digitizes patient records. Mm. There's a lot of room for growth. And it's the GP level that's a bit more... Funnily enough, it's not what you'd expect, is it? You'd expect it to be the, the big hospitals that have the, uh, the the better IT systems, but the GPs seem to have, have stolen the marches. The, yeah, uh... I think it's no coincidence, though, that we have been through you know, some pretty hard budgetary times mm. um, since this whole sort of let's spend loads of money on making our um, records that much more sort of streamlined and, and electronic. We then go through a series of cuts where, you know, the NHS and that, you know, it is going to be slow. Um, but hopefully now that things are sort of perking up and, and returning to growth, I mean, we've still got an awful lot of austerity ahead of us, it would seem. But um, I think there's sort of renewed optimism that mm. they will be able to spend more money to to be able to get on board but you know but it, i guess but i guess the point of this this technology is that it saves money overall in the long run i mean but that's that's always a sort of catch-22 sort of or vicious circle to try and convince hospital heads i think to spend up front for long-term benefit i mean that's just sort of a uh, frustrating business strategy yeah, years yeah. through, isn't it? But having said that, I mean, you know, the companies in the sector have done very well recently. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you mentioned Emis in the feature, which uh, is a is a big big player, and that was that was around a decade ago actually. But it's one one of the companies we looked at. Advanced computer software on the takeover theme that's gone. Yep. Uh, and yeah, what, is, what what were they doing exactly? It's, it's medical records, isn't it? It's uh, in in that area. Um, they were sort of a, a pioneer in connected healthcare. And yeah. Sort of yeah. Ensuring that. A nurse's tablet is connected into the hospital system and she knows where patients are and what they're doing. But, I mean, in terms of a market, it's real. I mean, we're not talking about speculative tech here. This is this is real. This is happening. This is, uh, this is stuff that investors have probably already made some money out of. And as you say, there's a lot of growth left to come. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other the other thing that I find really interesting is the diagnostic mm. side of things. So, I mean, this is where it gets really 
kind of <laughs> frightening stroke stroke amazing ama- i mean it's amazing amazing yeah it, so, it, so it give is. us harry give us an idea of some of the things that are happening in that area well I, i've picked out um a, a few companies um the one that sort of really uh stuck in my mind was one of it was a company i met very very soon after i joined the ic which was acres bioscience um a while ago and uh and they make basically products that are handheld that can be operated by people with sort of the most minimal qualifications in, in a medical sense and literally in the back office of a pharmacy you wouldn't have to be in a in a hospital to have these tests administered and and they they do a range of things from um I mean, the main sort of technology behind it, if you really want to look at it in that sense, is um, very similar to a breathalyzer that you would get in a drink driving situation. Um, But they're hoping to really expand the use of that technology to be able to not fully diagnose, but certainly get the first sort of diagnostic stage. And if you were to use this test, which is efficient, it's quick, the results are almost instant, um, you know, it, it it would flag up certain things which then may need sort of follow-up at a proper hospital. But so I guess is what you would describe as point-of-care diagnosis. Point-of-care. And for the US, this is massive, especially under Obamacare, because obviously under Obamacare, the the burden that emergency rooms are facing and large hospitals are facing is, is quite enormous. And this technology has real applicability in what they call in the US drugstores. We would, you know, Boots is our equivalent here, but over there it's it's a CVS or a Duane Reed. Yeah, do you know what? When I went to America, one of the things that struck me about their so-called drugs, you could buy cigarettes in them. In fact, that's where you well, went and a, bought I, your cigarettes. That was one of my uh, first sector focuses, <laughs> actually. Amazing. Yeah, I wrote a sector focus about that a year ago, about how um, CVS has actually um, signed up to stop selling traditional tobacco products altogether. Quite right, Because too. it sees more money in this market, which is point-of-care diagnostics in the back room. But, you know, they don't want those patients who have just been tested for lung cancer buying a pack of cigarettes. No, no. So so they see more money in in this, which I which I think is probably the future. And and hopefully, I mean, the aim, if you look at it in a moralistic sense, is is to catch illnesses quicker and to bring, you know, survivor rates up and and things like that. And again, to save a lot of money because you're not having to refer people to hospital. You're not having to go to the lab. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not having to burden the emergency rooms to run tests that may or may not come back positive. So, um, so that's the idea, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's really, I mean, it really is good. And there's quite quite a number of companies on on the UK market who are in this space. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that these are hugely speculative plays, as as most biotech. These are med tech companies, really. But essentially, it's not it's not that different from valuing a traditional biotech. And actually, as part of the feature, I've done a separate box out on biotech as well, because that's um that's sort of a different look at technology. You're looking at sort of the breaking technology that's going on in in biotech. Biotech, which is coming up for actual drug development as opposed yeah. to um, tools. Well, yeah, biotech shares, I mean, they've had a good run. Mm. Um, I guess, when will we, the bubble burst? <laughs> yeah, well, we've actually, um, I won't talk about it in this uh, this podcast because I'll leave that for the uh, the, the funds mm. team because mm. they've talked that they're looking at biotech uh, funds this week and they've, yeah. all, they've all done extremely well too. But yeah, um, biotech shares, what do you think? Bubble? Well, or I mean, are we, are we again at a tipping point where, you know, actually... The bubble that we saw perhaps a decade or so ago, you know, the technology wasn't there. And but now, yeah, you know, we are stories. a breakthrough point yeah. in terms of the way that that, that new new cures are, are being discovered. Yeah, I mean, I would say that one thing is the same today as it was ten years ago, which is biotech is still predominantly a US based story. So for London investors, it can be a bit frustrating. Mm. But having said that, actually, one of the news stories I've written this week is um, is a brand new biotech listing again in London. Who have we got um, here? What's this? It's a company called PureTech. Okay. Um, it's. Uh, 
it's quite a big one actually. Um, biggest biotech fundraising for nearly a decade on um, in in London, and uh, I mean it, its market cap is is three six four, which for a biotech company coming to market is actually quite decent. Yeah, it's main market as well. Again, yeah, it? it's main market, which is I mean biotech is like a stalwart of aim so mm. um you know Circassia we had uh, we had last year and um and and pure tech is, is is the second one but um we'll we'll see what what the future holds what they're developing uh pure tech i mean <laughs> it's quite it's quite interesting actually because it relates very much actually to um to our feature they quote it as and i read next generation and consumer friendly technology um so it's everything really from um they make sort of um diagnostic products again even like video games wasn't it that that you could like use to ah um, yeah you mentioned this don't you thought the gamification of keeping yourself yeah. fit yeah it's um it, it's going to be a really interesting one to see how it all uh all comes out well my kids like that they we uh we bought them a Wii a couple of years back and they've got the Wii Fit and they love that it's yeah. great it's a very broad company actually it's got a very broad product sort of base so um okay. we'll see what what market trends they really end up being exposed to no it's, it's absolutely fascinating and I mean and some of the big guns of tech are involved in this space as well so uh, you know going back to the takeover theme I guess if you've got innovative little companies you know popping up on AIM popping up you know at the sort of smaller end of the main market you know they're, they're, they could potentially find themselves in play as companies like Google and Apple really really aggressively move into these these new areas of uh, of tech well Google's always an interesting company because it has this core search and advertising business but on the side it's doing all these little um, adventures into new areas so it's got a uh, it's developing a contact lens that can um, detect the level of uh, blood sugar and therefore help diabetics in yeah, that sense. Yeah. That's amazing stuff I mean, because I mean, diabetes is a really major mm. and growing problem around around the world as populations essentially get a, get fatter. Yeah, it's interesting because everyone thinks that the US is the, sort of the biggest market for that and it's actually not. The emerging markets are actually some of the worst for it. I think Mexico, I spoke to an analyst at JP Morgan um, last year about it when we were doing our ethical investment feature and, and Mexico is actually... Um, the biggest market is, it, is this because people are basically eating more sugar more protein yeah than yeah processed food i mean for all for all the uh media messaging that you'll be bombarded with day in day out about um sort of you know healthy eating and green juice and all the rest of it um people are still and i think this is why i think this is why the message is confused about it actually being mexico is the biggest market because it's actually the people who maybe don't have access to this rather upper middle class way of living who are the worst affected by this because they're still eating in a very traditional way mm. um which is still heavily processed so yeah and i mean you know another of your sex is, is food mm-hmm. um you know I've, I've been hearing things about you know mcdonald's for example is not not perhaps as popular as it once no. used to be. There's a growing trend around sort of uh, much more healthy eating options. There's a lot of companies coming to market in, in the US yeah. uh, in particular. You the, were the, saying the, that the last sort of, week. You know, sort of the, uh, what do you want to call it? The sort of street foodie type end of things, which which is all about the freshness. And yeah, so, I mean, Theron was making some interesting comments last week, weren't you, about how the fast food vendors, the ones that are really doing well, are the fast food vendors who focus on quality. So our generation still seems to have an appetite for fast food, but they want it to be... Healthier you go to versions. Chipotle rather than McDonald's, where mm. it's all about quality. It's the same level of convenience, mm. but it's also it's a it's value as well relative to 
trying to eat healthy somewhere else. Yeah, so I still go to the chippy. I still go to the chippy. I don't know where that falls <laughs> on the health inspection, but it's probably not very high up. Um, but luckily, I don't have uh, a fit bug or a fit bit or an apple whatnot to uh, to measure how unhealthy I am. So, uh, so I'm all right. Well, th- thank you very much for for uh, for that. I mean, I really. I mean, these are fascinating features. I mean, the world. The world, I just it's unrecognizable from where it was ten years ago. Yeah, it's so things. fast. I mean, this might be another reason why things are sometimes slow to really. Um, become a success is that before it can become a success the market's already moved on the technology is already that much more sophisticated and everyone's just trying to basically stay in the rat race yeah yeah Okay, mm. well, I will enjoy my sedentary lifestyle eating fish and <laughs> chips in front of Netflix. And, uh, um, yeah, maybe head down to the, the chemist for a bit of self-diagnostic at some point in the future. Well, okay, thank you very much. Um, let's talk quickly. Uh, so, Graham, I sort of cut you off earlier because we got kind of got distracted by still uh, here, John, by the worry. very neat link there into it the was. TV thing. Um, News-wise, I know you were very keen to talk about Taylor Swift on the subject of Apple. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, Theron, Theron was pretty, pretty, pretty keen on this as well. Um, yeah, a bit of bit of girl power. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing that a company, the biggest company in the world, capitulated within minutes. It's Taylor <laughs> to, Swift to a, a, a tweet, effectively, or a letter tweeted out by Taylor Swift to her fifty-nine million followers. I was going to say it's biggest company to biggest artist. Though. Yeah, I mean. she's she's a phenomenon. It's yeah. incredible. Mike, uh, do you like Taylor Swift? I'll tell you a funny story. I, oh, I, I saw her play in America. Um, let me get this right. Almost eight years ago, she was the warm-up act. Yeah. For whom? Well, she was a country and western star. She was a country and western, country and western star, yeah. and, I, and I went to see another country and western band play, and she was their warm-up act. Wow. There you go. Yeah. I mean, she is, without a doubt, I mean, she's the biggest star. Mm. Anywhere, I would say. I mean, I don't think there's anyone bigger than Taylor Swift anymore. At the moment. Really, at the yeah. moment. Since My kids Michael love Jackson it. dropped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, my kids would love to go and see her, uh, but, you know, the tickets cost a fortune, mm. even if you could actually get the tickets. She um, has come under a bit of fire this week as well because she's basically been called a hypocrite in that um, the photographers that she uses are forced to sign over all rights before she allows them to shoot her in editorials. Well, it's funny you say that because they wanted to go and see Taylor Swift at, uh, I think called the uh, BBC Radio 1 Big Weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, in Norwich. Up, up in Norwich somewhere, mm. yeah. Oh, we couldn't get the tickets. Um, so they thought, oh, it doesn't matter, we can watch it on the telly. Because uh, the BBC was televising the concert, and so we watched. You know, they watched all the other acts. They watched the gigs in full. They showed about five minutes of the Taylor Swift gig, mm-hmm. and you've got to think that you know that's that's She's been uh, siphoned off somewhere into a DVD that they can flog on to all those kids that desperately want to see that gig who yeah. can go. I mean, yeah, it's you know, I, the kids love her. I don't want to disparage Taylor Swift; they'll never <laughs> forgive me. But this is a, a money machine, really, and this Apple story strikes me as part of that. I mean, it's it's amazing. And anyone who said music was dead, the music industry was dead, you know. No, I mean, she will it's... come under fire for it. It's the reason that titles come under fire, right? Is because essentially all it appears is millionaire artists wanting to become richer. Mm. And at some point that is going to grate on the public. Yeah. She's got to, I mean, Taylor Swift has done well to position it like she has, but she's got to work a lot harder as protection of emerging talent rather than pocketing it protecting all her own revenue yeah. yeah yeah well i hope you're listening taylor yeah, we, lo- we love you we love you but you know give, give something back to the fans yeah. like, my daughters in particular free tickets would be fine <laughs> all right um okay let's talk quickly about results i know we've been, we've been uh, talking quite a lot today uh and harriet you've written half this section as well so uh been busy nah, busy a bit of an exaggeration mm. but a few poundland that's interesting yeah uh what i did write was um 
a lot of the sort of what we call long results. So Panlam was definitely one because it was um, obviously um, under fire recently. Its shares were under pressure because uh, the Competition Markets Authority has obviously taken quite a dislike to its potential acquisition. Um, 99p, 99p store, store yeah. That <laughs> was still makes me laugh. Uh, <laughs> I know. And uh, Alex, actually, Alex Newman, our, our colleague here, did make a, a funny remark. He said, I can't understand why the Competition Market Authority think that 99p is like sort of a, a conflict because it's an entirely different market. Poundland, things cost a pound. 99p costs 99p. I found that quite amusing. They, do you know what? They are, they are quite different. Yeah, 99p is a bit... More down market. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's yeah. less than sterling. <laughs> more down market than pound land. 99p stores are definitely more dark down market than, <laughs> than pound land. <laughs> yeah, well, they they won't get a decision on it until October at the earliest. So um, it's a bit of a waiting game on that front. And in the meantime, all you can really try and focus on are, are the results in hand. And they did they did reach a certain milestone. They, they managed to get a billion in sales for the first time. So um, we're actually we're cooking up actually a potential feature on uh, on the billion pound club and whether that sort of milestone means anything for companies when they manage to make that in revenue or not. It's, uh, yeah, what do they say? Sales are vanity, profit is sanity. Yeah. So, you know, the big question, I guess, you know, they, a billion pound, whatever, uh, are they making money? Yeah. And are profits growing? And I guess that's what, you know, shareholders want to see. Well, so far, profits are up um, on, a, on a statutory basis, staggering 68%. So um, it appears to be going well. They're expanding in Spain. Um, currency has been a bit of an issue for them, obviously, because they're trying to press into Europe and, and with the euro... Um, uh, at the moment, that's that's sort of making it look a little sort of damp, and then it actually is a little. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's trying to basically keep up keep up a good face. Um, as as to the management, I mean, it's interesting. I spoke to them for the first time um, this week, and uh, Jim Jim McCarthy is uh, is an interesting character. He's uh, He's very focused on what he calls retail trends. Uh, he he says that the company, I think the the focus of the call and the focus particularly from the other journalists was um, was that current trading in the first quarter of the current financial year um, is not as quick as it was last year. So quarter on quarter, you're looking at like for like sales last year were up 18%. This year, they're tracking 4%. Yeah. But this was the loom band effect. Yeah. So it? Jim McCarthy, as I said, focused massively on retail trends and he's obsessed with what he calls the once in a decade loom band craze. My, my house was, uh, we experienced I was going to say, maybe you could. Decade loom band <laughs> craze. Many, uh, many a Hoover suffered from the loom band craze. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And not only that, many many a father in the office was seen sporting a, a, a loom band bracelet. Indeed. I, I had a couple. You had quite yep. good. One or two, did you go? Yep, Jonas, <laughs> Jonas had one. As yeah, well. Jonas Algie Algie had one. Um, yeah, thank God that's over. Because I look <laughs> like a moron. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's basically blaming them for pushing the uh, the sales up sort of disproportionately last year. And he says that 4% is a lot more normal. Mm. Regardless, I think people on the call and certainly the investors um, are concerned. And I guess the question I would have over this pound store craze is is this a, a product of recession that mm. will start to weaken as people start to feel flusher yeah it's a really interesting question because of course before i came to the retail beat recently i covered um pubs and restaurants which were another real sort of recessionary tale in the discounting amongst the restaurants has really survived the recession it was born out of the recession and so far it's surviving it you can particularly look at stocks like restaurant group if you want proof of that 
Um, so whether it will hang on in retail, I guess only time will tell. But um, the the management at Poundland is absolutely convinced that that the Poundland party is not over. Okay, so yeah, that's that's Pound Stores. Um, plenty of other results this week. Actually, mm. it's been quite quite busy. Um, probably don't have time to talk about them all now. Um, you covered also Trader. This yeah, week, that, is, that is, was another highlight, I have to say. Quite, quite um, just because it's a recent float, obviously. Um, so these were sort of the first full-blown results that we had from from them. It's flying. Um, Shares are yeah, flying. I mean, absolutely uh... flying. And, um, you know, they've risen a third in value since the float. And it's just really interesting for a company that's um, that's gone through several sort of ownership structures already. Obviously, it was owned for a long time by the Guardian Media Group um, and backed by their trust. And and uh, it's it's most recently come from private equity. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a new life for Auto Trader. It's now a 100% digital business. Mm. Um, uh, the magazine was sort of siphoned off. So... Um, it's all about how to make money on the web, which almost becomes more of your remit yeah. than mine. But, it's more um, like a sort of right move or a well, funny, supermarket. Funny you or should or say snack. right move because Ed Williams, who is the chairman at Auto Trader, also founded Right Move. Right, so yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, I've used them recently to buy a new car. Um, a lot of dealers on there as well now, which yeah. I guess is which is like the, the right move model you go to the estate agents rather than yeah absolutely it's becoming much more their bread and butter yeah. uh, while their private sellers are sort of you know it's a fee income really yeah. at the end of the day yeah fascinating okay um, so yeah lots of other results like I said uh, we had uh, Findel who you wrote about which had a pretty pretty shocking it was Ale- actually Alex oh, that wrote Alex about it there. but it, yes it is a retailer um, sort of shocking as ever really mm, um, just going back to the the takeovers, Labrooks, which has yeah, had, a, had a stinker uh, over the last few years. I have to credit Julian Hoffman, who is my predecessor. He actually put um, Ladbrokes as a buy ages ago, based on a takeover. Did he really? Yeah, it, he was just two years too early. What can I say? But um, yeah. lo and behold, here it seems to be coming. Oh, well, that's uh, well done, Julian. Mm. Uh, if you're listening out there <laughs> in, the, in the shires, um, okay. Um, so, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Theron. Thank you, everyone uh, in the control room, Graham. Um, Plenty more in the magazine, like I said. We've got those two uh, fantastic features. Um, we've got lots of new things that are going on at the moment. So, um, one in- initiative we're, we're doing online is Chart of the Day, and we're doing that every day. Um, and sometimes they make their way into print, and uh, Algie Hall's written uh, uh, a corker this week on... Uh, on AIM and how um, it just continues to attract so much cash despite offering extremely lousy returns. We, we, we discussed this sort of last week. Um, Algie's also uh, done the stock screen as usual. Um, sex focused this week on the wealth management industry. Very interesting times for that, uh, given changes to uh, the, the pension landscape in the UK. Um, and as I said, there's a number of uh, items in the personal finance and funds section, which you will be able to listen to when they produce their podcast tomorrow. Uh, thank you very much everyone um, magazine it's a beautiful looking magazine this week I really like it uh, and lovely content in there £4.50 all good news agents and uh, we'll catch up again next week thank you